Well, good morning, friends. It is good to be together. We have a big parable in front of us today. If you're new or just joining us for the first time in a while, we are now in week three of a series called Shift, a look at how to shift our behaviors and how to change the way we live from one way of living to another. And this story today of the unmerciful servant is a dramatic and convicting passage that we are going to wade through together. So if you have a copy of your scriptures with you or you wanna pull it up on your phone, we're gonna be in Matthew 18 this morning. But before we do that, let's bow our heads in prayer together. Lord, thank you for the gift of story, for the power in the words that you give us and the power in hearing them with our modern ears, Lord. Your ancient truths ring true for us today. So may we together, Lord, be found faithful to the task of understanding what you want us to change in our lives. Open our eyes, open our hearts, open our minds, Lord. Teach us something new today. In the name of Jesus, everyone together said, amen. How many of you in the past week, perhaps, have had a sleepless night? Has anybody tossed and turned? Yeah, like who hasn't, right? Maybe there was a thunderstorm or a crying baby or a new puppy that kept you awake or you forgot to turn the ringer off on your phone and it was buzzing and waking you up. Sleepless nights are common almost every week. I'm in some conversation where someone's lamenting how exhausted they are because of a restless night. And while a thunderstorm or a baby or a puppy, of course, can keep us up, most of us, when we lie awake at night, it is because we are angsting and worrying and struggling to make sense of something. We're up late filled with wonder and worry. Personally, I either can't drift off or I wake up at like 2.17 a.m. and I'm staring at the ceiling and blinking and I just can't turn the spin in my mind off. We worry about our families and our communities, the state of this world. We wonder about the future. We fret over drama, broken relationships, and hard to heal places. Millions of us worry about projects and homework and school and exams and work and finances. And it seems like stress is everywhere. So much so that the American Psychological Association every single year puts out a report simply titled Stress in America. And big surprise, over half of us have a hard time sleeping because we're stressed. And 75% of Americans report an acute incident of stress and anxiety at least once a month in their lives. And we, of course, lie awake worrying about the things that are largely beyond our control, but some of the greatest stress and anxiety we carry and the reason we might be up late at night is because of stupid mistakes we've made, careless 
moments, an epic fail of some sort that was completely within our boundaries to avoid and we chose not to. Maybe we've mismanaged something with which we have been entrusted. We promised to deliver on an idea and then could not perform. We betrayed a friend, a spouse, a family member, or a colleague. Maybe we just flat out lied to cover up a mistake and we know there will be circumstances for what is coming. Some of us, perhaps our stomachs are in knots right now because this is the space you live in today and this is the space that the unmerciful servant we meet in this parable was dwelling in. Now before we get to the parable, if you look in Matthew 18, we're walking with Jesus through the normal routine of his gathering people and teaching. And he has a crowd with him as he often does. And his disciples are with him and people are leaning in close and peppering him with dozens of questions. Some motivated by sincere interest and others by pure selfish desire. This is the famous chapter in scripture where the disciples lean forward and someone asks Jesus, who's the greatest among us? Which one of us is your favorite? Who's winning? And Jesus goes on then and talks to them about humility. And then they ask Jesus, well, how do we settle arguments and disputes? And Jesus then begins to talk about navigating complex relationships and back and forth they go. And after a while, Peter leans forward and says, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? up to seven times. Now, Peter, if you remember, is Jesus' impulsive friend, forever in search of a pat on the head and an attaboy, and he's actually asking this question, looking for Jesus' approval. Jesus, pick me. I know that I'm supposed to forgive somebody. Look how good I am that I already know that. And what Peter knew at the time was that the rabbinic tradition that they shared held that you forgave somebody three or four times for an offense. So Peter is almost bragging to Jesus, what if I forgave them seven times, Jesus? How good am I? And why seven? We're not quite sure. There are some references to seven times that show up in the Old Testament. But most of us would agree that to forgive someone three, four, or seven times seems fairly generous. Fool me once, shame on me. Shame on you, sorry. <laughs> I mean, I always screw that up. <sighs> Darn it. I'm gonna get it right at 1045, come back. <laughs> fool me twice, shame on me. We say stuff like this, like don't, don't fool me. I don't have to forgive you all those times. And Jesus says, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Which is not Jesus' way of saying, now get out a book and start keeping a list. It's Jesus' way of saying, it's ridiculous to even keep an account of this. That's not what forgiveness or extending mercy, as we'll learn this passage is about. That's not what this is about. We're not supposed to be keeping records of how many times we forgive. And then scripture says, he went on to tell them this story. And here's our parable for today. 
The story tells us that there is a king, a master, keeping track of his accounts. And the time has come for his citizens to settle up, so he reaches out to his local leaders and he sends them off into his kingdom with the command that all current debts be paid. Money has been borrowed, accounts need to be settled, now is payback time. So his local leaders move throughout their community, they collect what is owed, and eventually they come to a man who owes an obnoxious debt one that cannot be repaid. Scripture says he owes 10,000 bags of gold. In the Greek, it says 10,000 talents. One talent at this time was about 20 years' salary for a day laborer, which is what this man likely would have been. So if you do the math on this, it's like 200,000 years of salary. The point is, there's no possible way this man can repay this debt. And so he is dragged before the king. And he is terrified because he knows what's coming. The call to repay this debt, of course, comes with some humiliation and shame. He's in public now, and what he's done is known, and that's embarrassing. But at this place in time in history, the culture and the tradition held that the king could sell every possession this man owned, sell this man himself, his wife, and his children into slavery to reduce this debt. And he knows this. He knows that it is now the end of his life, and it is the end of the life of his family as They know it, and with terror and holding this knowledge, he falls, scripture says, on his knees before the king. Be patient with me, he begs, and I will pay back everything. And scripture says in verse 27, the master's servant took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. The master took pity on the servant, canceled his debt and let him go. It's okay. Go home, get a good night's sleep. I'll absorb this one, you're good. Mercy, relief. I'm not gonna make you suffer for this sigh of relief. Life will go on. He receives the gift of mercy. Mercy is a word that we toss around in spiritual circles like this. It's a known word in our everyday vernacular. It's a noun, it means forbearance. Forbearance that is shown to an offender or one who's subject to another person's power. It is compassionate treatment of those in distress. In scripture, the Greek and Hebrew words carry a very similar meaning to our English word. They mean to show compassion and pity and kindness. Mercy is also cited as an intrinsic quality of the nature of God. God is explained as merciful. And the dynamic in his mercy is an undeserving people receive love. An undeserving, sinful mess of humanity receives 
the covenantal love and forgiveness of God, and this is mercy. And mercy shows up over and over again in scripture. In Lamentations, we read that God's mercies are new every morning, that God is not merciful just one time, but it's an ongoing mercy that we receive every day. It is a complex concept, and it's important to note that while mercy and forgiveness often go together, they are not the same. To forgive someone is to release or let go of anger or resentment that you carry towards them. To be merciful is to forego the punishment, the justice, that is demanded because of an act. You can be forgiving and not be merciful. And to be clear, by way of caveats, mercy and justice are also linked. God is both merciful and just. And there are times when a situation demands justice. And God, we are told, will make justice rain down. These are also related concepts. What we are talking about today and what this parable is about is about personal mercy, not corporate or personal justice. It's about the movement of mercy in the heart of this servant. Mercy is the possibility to see good, to see good in a person and choose to act on that possibility. I am a parent, I do this all the time, with my children. Sometimes they come home and they have made horrible choices and justice is what I choose to enact. Give me your phone, go up to your room. And other times they come home and I say, gosh, you're acting like a moron. But I think you didn't understand what you were doing. And I'm trying to have compassion and pity on you and I'm trying to help you live into your best self and maybe I'm not going to mete out punishment because even though something horribly wrong has happened, I'm gonna show mercy because I understand something about this kid who lives in my house and what they might be able to do if I extend some mercy in a situation. Jesus is the king in this parable for today and he looks at this servant who's been dragged before the king and says it's okay I'm not gonna act out justice on all the atrocities that you have done in your own life. I'm going to free you with the hope that this changes something in you. But as the story goes, unfortunately, the servant who receives such beautiful and tremendous mercy does not take the gift that he is so freely given and extend it to others and use it to shift his life in a positive God-honoring direction. We read in scripture, but when the servant went out, when this man went out, he found one of his own servants who owed him just a 100 silver coins, which was about one day's wages. And scripture says he assaulted him. He grabbed him and began to choke him with his hands around this man's neck. He says, pay back what you owe me. And the servant 
falls to his knees, gasping probably for air, and begs him, please be patient with me, I will pay this back. But he refused, and he went off, and he had the man thrown into prison until he could pay back the debt, which was not possible at this time. If you were imprisoned, you could not pay back a debt. So he gives this man a life sentence in prison for one day's wage, when he had been forgiven more than he could ever repay. I find this passage horrifying. Friends, we are often, we are the unmerciful servants in the story. And this parable is to get us to shift our behavior. It is a warning. Do not take the mercies that God has given to you and refuse to bestow them upon others. Do not be unmerciful. And my guess is when we all leave church here today, we are not going to go home and find someone on their knees on our front doorstep begging us to forgive them of some offense. You'll drive home, you'll eat, you might watch a little football, maybe mow the lawn, I don't know, finish up homework, run some errands, and then tomorrow is Monday, and Monday morning, there's not gonna be somebody on your doorstep Monday morning either. So what do we do with this story? Because here we are now in this moment. And I think that the way this looks for us is not people begging for our mercy on their knees, but what's more likely to happen is you're gonna, be going, you're gonna go about your Sunday or your Monday and you're gonna catch a sound bite or a news bite or something's gonna come up on your news feed or you're gonna hear a conversation that's gonna trigger you. And you're gonna find somewhere a story of people who lack resources and made some bad choices to bridge the gap in what they were missing. And those choices are gonna make the news and people are gonna judge the entire trajectory of someone's life based on maybe one bad choice. Or you're gonna hear about people who live in a place that's been destroyed by horrible abuses of power and choices that impact entire towns and cities or nations, and you might be tempted to go, well, I mean, if you live like that, what do you expect? Or some kid, some teenager who lives near you is gonna get herself or himself in trouble, and they're gonna go to a party, and they're gonna make one choice in one moment, and it's gonna change the entire trajectory of that kid's life and that story is gonna make the news and you and I get to decide whether we wanna say, well, I mean, what kind of parent would let that happen? They deserved it, they had it coming, it serves them right, they're gonna get dragged before the court of public opinion and we get to decide whether judgment and justice will be how we respond, or do we respond with mercy and seek understanding? Charles Dickens once said about his own life, he said, I know that I do not exaggerate unconsciously and unintentionally the scantiness of my resources and the difficulties of my life. 
He says, I know that but for the mercy of God and the mercy of others in his life, he says about himself that he would be a robber or a vagabond. Dickens lived an idyllic British childhood until the year he turned 12 when his father was unable to repay a debt and they threw his father in prison and as was the custom in England at the time, required his family to move to that same town where his father was imprisoned and wait for his release. And to cover the expenses during this time, Dickens is sent to a factory. He's removed from school and he's working 10 hours a day in child labor. And now you know where some of his stories come from. And when his father is eventually released from prison, his own mom decided not to free him from labor in the factory and left him working there. And he is able to say that those situations led him to some bad decisions and were it not for the mercy of God and others, he might not have been the prolific writer and thinker that he became. My uh, daughter, my kids, as I said, make dumb choices a lot, and I will often say, what did you expect when they make a bad choice? When they come home and something's gone wrong, I said, what did you think was gonna happen? And one afternoon, we were in a hurry to go somewhere. I actually didn't even know my daughter was outside at the time, because I was hustling around trying to get everything done, and she was about nine years old, and she had just received as a gift a super expensive and fantastic pair of pants that I was never going to buy her, but her grandmother bought her, and she had decided to put her rollerblades on. And the next thing I know is I turn around as we're hustling around and she's at the back sliding patio door on our deck with these new pants completely ripped to shreds. Her knees are bleeding, her elbows are bleeding, she's sobbing and I rip open the patio door and I'm like, what did you do? She's like, well I rollerbladed down the stairs. I just, I wanted to rollerblade down the stairs. <laughs> I was like, what did you think was going to happen if you rollerbladed down the stairs? I go, what did you expect? And not realizing this is a rhetorical question, she actually answered me. <laughs> she goes, well, mommy, I didn't expect to rip my new pants and break my elbows, which she didn't break her elbows, but what did you expect? What did you expect God might say to us? What did you think was going to happen when you decided to be selfish and rude and obnoxious and sin-filled? When you decided to live out of hate and anger? What did you think was gonna happen in the world that I created for you when you chose to act the way you human beings, people of mine, what did you think was gonna happen? We didn't think this was gonna happen, God. Most people, except perhaps the darkest and hardest hearts, if you were to ask them that question with whatever tragedy or trespass has happened, what did you think was gonna happen? They would probably say, I didn't think I was gonna ruin my life or somebody else's life. I didn't think, I didn't think this was going to happen. And we have a decision to make in that moment, do we? choose to act in mercy or judgment. Here's the kicker. Story goes on in conclusion. 
When the other servants saw what had happened, Scripture says, when they saw this scenario go down, they were outraged, and they went back and told that king, their master, everything that had happened. And then that man called the servant in and said, you wicked servant. He said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all he owed, which was never. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Wow. Luke 6, Jesus says, be merciful just as your Father is merciful. We pray in the Lord's Prayer, Lord, forgive us our debts as we forgive our God chooses to interact with us not on the basis of what we've done, but on the basis of who we are as his beloved. Inside each of us is his divine thumbprint, and we are his treasured and his beloved. And so salvation, is his merciful gift to us. It is the opportunity for us to live out of his belovedness instead of under his wrath. We get the chance to become who we were fully meant to be because God gives us that opportunity in his mercy. So who are we in our personal dealings with one another to refuse that opportunity for someone else? To cast judgment or write people off or suggest they deserve something when we don't know their full story, we don't know who they are. All we know perhaps is that they are the beloved. We have a responsibility and a command from Jesus to act merciful. This is a hard passage to preach because it doesn't end pretty. It ends with the warning, woe to us. Woe to us if we don't extend mercy like it's been extended to us. I do not want to find myself on the wrong end of this story. James 4 says this, there is only one lawgiver and judge, which is God, the one who is able to both save and destroy. But you, you and I, scripture says, who are we to judge our neighbors? These are powerful words and they require a shift in our thinking a shift from demanding judgment and justice to extending mercy. It's a high calling and one we have to live into. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for these words, for the truth that lies within them, for the conviction they carry, for the command that we live differently because of them. God, it is hard to do this. It is hard to get over our personal desire for judgment. 
And so, Lord, make us merciful. Make us people, first, God, who are thankful for the mercies you extend to us and who can shift then our mindset to seek mercy and extend forgiveness for others. Lord, take this story, make it real to us this week, change us as a result. In the powerful, mighty name of Jesus, the church together said, amen.